destination for X-Men content, where I and my co-host Adam Reck go through three different X-Men stories, and we put them on our list from best to worst X-Men stories of ever, all time, ever. Adam, Adam, how are you doing today? I'm feeling extra spooky today, Zach. This is a spooky episode. (laughs) As uh, As we get closer and closer... To that day known as Halloween, we wanted to get into some uh, spooky and scary stories. Yeah. And what did we decide on? We decided to get into that time when demons invaded New York City, called Inferno. Which could be, I mean, this could be the scariest thing that we've done on the show, is to try and cover Inferno in a single episode. So, uh... (laughs) Well, and we're not covering all of Inferno. No, no, because that would be daunting and silly yeah we're gonna we're gonna do the highlights yep so we have for this episode the x-men and x-factor main you know the the part of inferno that people think of as inferno that's yeah the part that matters oh that's not true because we also have the new mutant okay that's the other part that really matters and maybe even more and we have the exterminators part which matters in my heart oh i like that yeah yeah that's no, right. good. So let's uh let's jump into the big chunk. First up, we have Inferno, X Men, and X Factor. Uh, there's a bunch of issue numbers. I think it's X Factor thirty six, thirty seven, and thirty eight, and it's X Men two hundred something. Uh, two thirty nine. Yeah, yeah. Did I do that right? Two thirty nine to two forty three. I could look it up on this tab that I have right in front of me. Yes. Yeah, it's two thirty nine, two forty three. All, the only reason I know the X-Factor ones is because, and I'm not joking, I have four copies of X-Factor 37, which is the <laughs> one with Madeline as the Goblin Queen holding up the baby. How many I've copies? Four. I've purchased one of them. So it's this weird thing where, like, I have that for my run of comics because I have, like, a complete run of X-Factor. Yeah. Can I make, but, a, can I make a recommendation? Like not have get, that? Maybe get a fifth copy, and then you can form like a weird like comic pentagram, and Ooh. then you know open up the portal to limbo. <laughs> you know. See, I don't want to own more copies of it, not because <laughs> it's a bad issue, but because I keep getting it as a gift. Oh. And this is a weird copy to get as a gift because it has the worst costume in comics history. The Goblin Queen costume is Witchblade bad. Yeah, that's uh, that's four copies of Underboob right there. Yeah, and people are like, oh, Zach, it's X-Men comic. I'm like, yes, it is. <laughs> I don't want you to think that this is what all X-Men comics are. Why mm. do I keep getting this one? Yeah. But I do. Okay. I do. I guess Inferno was popular and there are a lot of copies. Sure. Yeah, I mean, I seem to see them when I dig through back issues. Inferno. For those of you who don't know, this is the story where Mr. Sinister and Nashtir... The demon, the, the horse demon guy, they uh, trick Madeline Pryor into uh, losing her marbles, mm-hmm. becoming the Goblin Queen, and sacrificing babies to uh, take over New York City that, with that's demons. That's a very uh, distilled explanation. 
And then Mr. Sinister explains his secret history uh, with the Summers family. Also, yeah. that happens. Yeah. I, I feel like so much of this is... is uh... I know Inferno is like, you know, highly regarded as one of the greatest crossovers of X history, but so much of this is a mess. Would you, (laughs) I don't know if you're in agreement with that, but you know, like why does New York suddenly become possessed by anthropomorphic uh, street lights and things like that? Like, Oh, because that's just charming. Okay. All right. Because that's great. That's the part of the book I will always fight for, is that there are elevators that eat people, and there are uh, fire hydrants that fight Daredevil. I don't know. It's a vacuum cleaner. He fights a vacuum cleaner. Yeah, that, that's, that's I actually own that. I think I have that issue. Uh, or There's multiple issues, I think, where he, where he fights the uh, the anthropomorphic uh, uh, vacuum cleaner. That's a Nascenti thing, right? That's great. Yeah, I, just, I should have asked Nascenti about that. I, just, uh, I actually got to meet her last weekend. Oh, really? That's so cool. Yeah. Yeah, it, I, I didn't know what to say. Also, frankly, she was not prepared for this con. Oh. She she had, like, two printouts of the cover of her new book with David Aha called Seeds, which sounds Ooh. fascinating just by the fact that it's an innocent David Aha book. Go but, check that out. Yes. Uh, we haven't really talked about Inferno. What do you like about Inferno, Adam? All right. Um, I think, uh, as a whole, what I like about Inferno is that it is really a Claremontian response to Fantastic Four 286. Like, if I boil this down, part of me suspects that this is really kind of like, a, an, a, 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 I don't even know how to describe this, maybe like a, a jealous or an angry rant about what the publisher did with his line by bringing Jean Grey back for X Factor. Um, and not letting Cyclops retire. And so, you know what, he's going to show them, he's going to make Madeline Pryor, you know, this, this evil villain and there's going to be devil babies. And uh, I don't know. I don't know. I I see where he's coming from because you have to do something with the character because Madeline Pryor, at least up until, uh, up until the baby sacrificing parts was a very, very good, strong character. Like, Mm. She was great. She's a standout of that, uh, you know, 150 to 200 era X-Men. And that's part of why Inferno for me is is kind of a bummer. I love Aussie X-Men. Uh, big fan of that era, you know, so much so that I, you know, wanted to hunt down the uh, Olivier Coypel Uncanny 600 cover uh, of the Aussie X-Men. But to see Madeline Pryor get character assassinated here is really rough because she is such a fantastic element of of that run in particular. And uh, it's a real heel turn here to go from, you know, a huge asset to what the title was to now evil, satanic uh, supervillain in in a very few short pages. It does build to that. I don't want to say that this happens out of nowhere. Um, But at the same time, it's very sad to see that this is how the character ends. Yeah, because, I mean, Madeline will continue to show up, but she's not the Madeline you ever knew anymore. She's the Goblin Queen from now on. Though I am happy that, as you know, there is currently a Madeline Pryor showing up in X-Men Blue. Mm -hmm. But it's specifically... Not the six one six Madeline Pryor. They're letting Hopeless is letting her be, and he's yeah. just using his super vampy uh, Goblin Queen from his Inferno 
arc. Yeah, so, we're Battle World I like that Inferno. more, but I agree. This Battle World Inferno, right. I'm sorry, I said Hopeless was in blue. Uh, Cullen Bunn, his comic book best friend, is using her in blue. Hopeless used her in all new, and he wrote the Inferno. It, I do love that they're sorry, doing Sorry, I wanted to like, make sure can... that was correct. Yeah, I, I like that they're uh, – and I think they actually tweeted about this over the weekend um, about collaborating on something. But I do like that Bun is picking up elements of Hopeless stuff and bringing it into Blue and making it core and essential because Bun is great about doing that. But but back to Inferno, I, I do think that – all right, so um, the other thing that really kind of rubs me the wrong way about Inferno in general is that it also seems – to be, and maybe this is just my perception, I don't know if anybody else reads it this way, but it seems like a whole, you know, like maybe Claremont went to see Ghostbusters and was like super excited about it. Like so excited about it that he decided to turn X-Men into Ghostbusters, particularly like the last 20 minutes of Ghostbusters. Yeah. Where, you know, Sigourney is kind of in rags and she's at the top of a skyscraper and... Uh, you know, New York is, is haunted by ghosts. Ooh. Um, I, I don't know. There's something that is so essential about this storyline, but is also so weird within the context of what we've come to expect X-Men to be. Yeah. I mean, I think that's fair because the, the New York stuff, it's fun. Uh, Sylvester in particular draws this very well. And we should mention the teams on this. This was, uh, Sylvester and Claremont on Uncanny, and then the Simonsons on X-Factor. Yeah. And they're great. Uh, great. Both are great. This is, a, this is a stacked deck. This is a very strong comics team. But the parts that really stick out to me, like the when I think of Inferno, what I think of the best parts, there's actually the very end chapter when they're at the mansion, and Sinister is revealing his grand plot. And then there has to be the whole psychic fights and all that stuff with Jean and Madeline, and I like that a lot more. Yes. That's, yeah, that's then, the part that The build-up and the crossovers into the other Marvel titles. I agree. Well, it feels like X-Men. That feels more like X-Men to me than a romp through a demon-infested New York. And I get that Inferno's big about that, but I don't, I don't think it works as well. I'm going to be honest. I think this might be my least favorite part of Inferno, and it's the core part of it. Okay. Yeah, it does. I mean, it's an eight-parter if you take, you know, the lead-in in Uncanny and you go through, you know, X-Men and X-Factor uh, as you go through here. And I don't know that it needs to be that long. I, I just, I think the weakest part of this is that, and we're going to talk about the New Mutants element of it, but the idea that this, the Limbo stuff from the Ileana storyline, which had it been just contained to the New Mutants, could have been an amazing uh, conclusion to her story alone, needs to bleed over so that the Nastir stuff is all over the place. And it I don't know that it really adds anything to the Mr. Sinister end of the storyline, which I think we probably would both agree that is the more interesting part of the spectrum here. Um, yeah. for, for X-Men, you know, and X-Factor. Yeah, Nastir is boring. Nastir does, of the three big villains of this, Nastir, Goblin Queen, and Mr. Sinister, Nastir's just, he's hes a nothing. He's a non-entity to this. He is the demon-y guy. He gets better in a different crossover part that we're going to talk about, but mm -hmm. for the X-Men and X-Factor stuff, 
he is a plot element that they had to use. Right. Because Sim was being used elsewhere. Yeah. I mean, I, I realize that the, you know, the decision here is to make, uh, you know, this big line wide crossover and then add a mini and then have some other, you know, superfluous marble crossover. But I, I think, you know, retroactively, it might have been interesting if the Madeline Sinister stuff went its own route, the Nastir Limbo stuff went its own route, and the, and they didn't meet in the middle. Um, but the fact that they all have to really makes their, 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 you know, they bleed together in weird ways that don't always work so well. Right. Um, which is, you know, not giving a lot of credit to how cool this story is, though. You know, the storytelling is done very, very well. I think Silvestri, uh, the Simonsons, Claremont, they're all firing on all cylinders. It's really cool to look at. And it's it's obviously a classic in the canon. But I don't revisit this a lot. No, it's it's daunting to revisit. It's a lot. Like, I did a, uh, I did a reread of X-Factor uh, within the last year. Mm-hmm. And when I got to Inferno, I was like, I I know I've read this in the last few years. I can skip this, right? Like I know there's a lot of build up to it, but I want to get to some other stuff. I don't need to. I don't need to read this again. And I'll go back. Like I'm I'm flipping through it right now. Art's really really good. The art's super good in this. There's a lot of fun story beats, but it's I don't know something about it doesn't scream X Men to me, and I think that's the biggest issue. Yeah, I you know, it's kind of hard to uh to argue with anything that you're saying there. I I'm sure there are people out there that absolutely love this and that this is like very central to them and their enjoyment of of these series, but it it seems like something that uh had to happen in a certain way to wrap up these storylines in in event fashion when I, you know, suspect that maybe there were some other avenues to go about it. There are a lot of excellent explosions in this. I will say oh, yeah. that. And there's right. lots of great, you know, uh, reveals and results to this, uh, aside from Maddie, uh, you know, sort of getting wiped out. Um, but it, it does st- set new status quos for where they go go from there. But, you know, it's kind of the end of an era that I really liked. And I don't necessarily, I didn't necessarily want it to end there and in the way that it does. Yeah, I agree. So... Are we ranking these as a clump, or do you want to go through each one individually and rank them? What, what do you think is a better tactic here? I have I have different feelings for all three of these, so I think okay. we, we treat these like we treat everything else on this list. We, you know, battle it out. So, uh, where, where are you thinking? Where are you thinking? Um, okay. I do think that... I don't know. I'm sort of looking in the middle of uh, a little bit lower than the middle of the list. Um, yeah. You know, I, our, our middle point right now is Messiah War. Right. At number 15. At the very bottom, we have X-Men Phoenix Legacy of Fire, which mm. is a story inspired by all the worst parts of Inferno. I think this is better than that. Oh, absolutely. Um, I... <sighs> I know on our last episode, I talked about, you know, how much I love Executioner's Song and how much fun it is. Um, I think for the the canon of X-Men, you absolutely need to read Inferno. It's sort of essential reading. Um, I don't know that I enjoy it as much as Executioner's Song. Um, 
I also don't know if it's as strong as some of the character introductions in Giant Size X-Men 1. Oh, no, I'm looking lower than that. Okay, how how low are you going? So uh, I think it's better than Battle of the Atom. Mm-hmm. I think that Ultimate X-Men Volume 1 is better than that, but I could be talked down for that. I don't think it's better than Mojo Mayhem. No, I don't either. Um, and I I think, you know, when we covered Ultimate X-Men, we did talk about what a good cohesive restart that is. And, you know, maybe this is just because I don't look back fondly on Inferno, but I th- I think Ultimate X-Men Volume 1 is better. Fantastic. Um, Fantastic. So why, why don't we go there? Number 18, Inferno x-men and x-factor the next inferno story we want to talk about on the all inferno power hour is this is only a half hour ish <laughs> you know whatever we record we power don't half hour we don't we don't like labels it's gonna go for three things uh but we're already way longer than we should be on this episode which makes sense it's inferno you know inferno it d- demands attention. yeah uh let's see uh, yeah, New Mutants. Th- that's what we already said we were talking about, and it's on yes. our list. This is New Mutants 71, 72, and 73. It is written by Louise Simonson with pencils by Brett Blevins. This is the end of Eliana Rasputin's story. She is Eliana. She is magic. She is the dark child all in one in this story. Mm-hmm. She is trying to stop Sim and the Demons of Inferno from invading New York, but she is just this, this, I was actually, I was looking at an ad copy of this, like just something they were printing in the Marvel comics at the time. Mm-hmm. And it says something to the extent of no one said this would have a happy ending. Yeah. And that's exactly what this is. This is a tragic story of Ileana, she, you know, she she loses. She becomes the Dark Child. She becomes everything she ever feared. And the only reason we have the Ileana we have now is because her friends went back and found the little girl. And re- they, they took Ileana from the past because their Ileana was corrupted. Their Ileana was broken. Their Ileana lost. That's a tough freaking story to read. Yeah, and I I think that this is uh, it benefits from being shorter than the other uh, Inferno crossover with Uncanny and, and X Factor, um, and it's also way more cohesive because it ties directly back to the Magic miniseries. It's a it's a conclusion that wraps up everything that we talked about in terms of this character's origin story. Um, and I think it works really well. I still think that Nastir is a very weak villain, but yeah. I think that having Sim here along for the ride and revisiting, uh, elements from that original mini series and taking this to an extremely dark place and allowing this character to have, I don't know if I, I, I want to describe it as sort of a catharsis of some kind, but the, the idea that the character gets a, a reset button um, in a lot of ways, I think this works much better 
than what we saw in the X-Men X-Factor run. I think Blevins' art is outstanding here. Um, he does a great job with the possessed New York and all of the objects in it. Um, the Goblin Queen really, you know, you can see her transformation and the horror of it. And really, it, you know, when we get to the end here of her being trapped in the armor and Colossus ripping her out, it has a, a, a lot of emotional heft to it, um, which I don't feel the same way about the other end of the ex, uh, of the other Inferno uh, crossover. I totally agree. And I'm glad you brought up Colossus because him being there at the end, him being there in New Mutant 73, that sells it for me. Because, yes, this is a story about the New Mutants, and Ileana was very close with her team. But Ileana was closer with her brother. Her brother mm-hmm. that, you know, for the longest time she thought was dead and all this, and now he has to try and save her knowing that he can't. It's a heart-wrenching story. There's a lot of stuff that work about it. There's some unfortunate baggage of the era, like uh, Gossamer. <laughs> Gossamer's uh, in this. I, I was going to try and avoid mentioning that, but yes, uh, there there is, uh, you know, Gossamer tagging along. There is the also, and we'll talk about Exterminator, Exterminators in a second, which works very interestingly on its own, but that also does complicate this a little bit. Um, a little it adds bit, a little wrinkle yeah. to it. Um, but it also, you know, makes for an interesting convergence um, after this in New Mutants um, and even in X-Factor, which is good. You know, again, I think that this works much better, and especially the Colossus Iliana stuff and her having been returned to childhood at the end of this short arc. I just think it's it's much more direct, and it works really, really well. Yeah, I like this a lot. It, it's This is, quality-wise, probably the best part of Inferno, but it's it's a tough one to read, because yeah. it, it is a loss. It is a tragedy. Mm-hmm. And it would take years before we got this Ileana back. I mean, it took till 2009, 2010? Right. Yeah, I mean, and that makes sense. Uh, I do think what's one of the unfortunate parts of the conclusion of this arc is that instead of Ileana getting to evolve as a new character or as a new individual, um, she's a casualty of not the writer is not really knowing what to do with her, um, which is a huge missed opportunity because, you know, what could you do with this mystery character that just emerged from this armored shell? There's so much cool stuff you could do with that. Well, I mean, she is eight. Yes, but it, but at the same time, she's not allowed over the course of the early 90s to grow in any way. There's a couple of plot lines that she gets involved in, but she's still just a kid. Um, whereas there really could have been some interesting after effects to this that never really get played upon. Sure. Um, I, I think that's more of an issue with, you know, using Ileana as a prop for the legacy virus in the nineties exactly. instead of this yeah. story where I think, I think as a whole and as a, uh, as a, as the ribbon on top of the Ileana new mutant story, I think this works. Oh, absolutely. And again, I, you're right on the money there that this, the, the idea of like, you know, being the legacy, uh, casualty 
that that has nothing to do with what we're reading here. It's just an unfortunate consequence of of maybe the writers not knowing what to do um, with that character and then that scenario and then you know easy pickings here. Yep. Uh, let's go for the, the easy emotional uh, payoff there. So where would you rank this as opposed to where we just put Inferno X-Men and X-Factor? I like it better than, uh, you know, the X-Factor and X-Men one. I definitely, I, I like it less than, uh, I think I like it less than Generation X 1, 2, and 3 that we talked about last week. Mm-hmm. Uh, last week, like it wasn't 20 minutes ago. Uh, <laughs> spoiler alert, everyone, from the past. Uh, but, yeah, that puts it in a weird place. I'm kind of looking around uh, 11 and 12, uh, X-Men 92, 1 through 4, and X-Factor 87. Uh, what are your thoughts? Yeah. I think this is better than the first arc of X-Men 92. And, I don't know, I guess the whether it's better than the dupe issue of Wolverine and the X-Men is, is my uh, gate there. So where, where do you think it, it falls? I don't, I don't, I don't think it's better than that dupe issue because that dupe issue is okay. pretty darn good. Uh, so 11. Then. Yeah. I think that's a respectable showing. <laughs> like let's not, let's not parse words. Number 11 on this list of right now, 32 soon to be 33 X-Men comics. That's pretty good. Yeah, but I, I do think that this is the best of the three elements of Inferno. It's quick, it's direct, it has the the, the emotional heft that you would expect from a crossover like this, um, and it, it does it extremely well. Sure. So let's talk about that last, that the third heat, the last element of this. <laughs> uh, Exterminators. Okay. Exterminators, what? From the what? pages of X-Factor. <laughs> oh my god. This was a four-issue um, mini- uh, by Louise Simonson and John Bogdanov, uh, starring the kids that hung out with X Factor. Right. That team is Artie and Leach, the best kids. Richter, Rusty Collins, who's the worst. Uh, he's the Skids. worst of them. He is. Come on. He can't even get a good fire name. Fire names are easy. <laughs> he could be called Inferno. I just don't read that one. He'll get his justice, won't he? Won't he get his, his justice as a character no, before he just unceremoniously dies? He'll be murdered. He'll be murdered for <laughs> no reason after being brainwashed. Yeah. It'll yep. be great. Oh, so it's him, it's Skids, it's Boom Boom, and then it's a new kid named uh, Taki. Taki, all right. I like Taki. Taki's cool. Taki Taki's does. awesome. Um, can we just take a moment to uh, say, and maybe I'm just, you know, ignorant of this, but like, I am baffled that Taki is not a continuing character in Marvel continuity. It's weird. Uh, why is that? Because Taki is so cool. Like... What a great idea for a character. And I don't know, man. I would love I to see him pop up again. Yeah. I don't think Taki's an X-Men character, though. Okay. Like, where would you put him? I, you know where I think I might put him? And this is this is going to be odd, but you know uh, Avengers Academy. Uh, it was a series mm. that ran after the Heroic Age. So mm-hmm. what, 2010 mm-hmm. to 2012-ish? Somewhere around that, I think he'd be a good fit with that generation of kids because he's not—he's not young Avengers material, right? He's still—he's still trying to learn, but his his power, which is essentially go go gadget wheelchair, yeah, <laughs> doesn't—he doesn't work with a lot of the like 
body powers that X-Men tend to have. True. He would also be a good fit with uh, Future Foundation. Oh, you know, dang! When, Why is that Hickman not a thing? thing? Right? That like, is the right place! That would have made a lot of sense, especially with Artie and Leech being He's in that series for him them. to cross over, right? Yeah. Jonathan Hickman, you made a mistake! <laughs> Where is Taki? Boy, you screwed uh, up! I don't know! Well, dang, that's a I, good I, call. I will say this. I do think that there is somewhere someone plotting Fallen Angels 2, which will then uh, feature the return of Gomi and Taki teaming up. Uh, <laughs> no, but uh, there is a Fallen Angels 2 quality to this miniseries, which makes me really like it, um, even though I don't know that it's very good. Uh, it takes the weird demon baby part of the storyline in runs with it and you know the the crossover with new mutants is awkward at best um however i don't know like you said there, there's a special place in my heart for this series um despite how much nastir is in it uh because i just like this combination i like this team i like boom boom oh yeah because boom boom is fabulous and john bogman of boom boom is amazing the best boom boom maybe I mean, you know look. like Boom Boom is very high on my list, and I will defend that because Boom Boom is great. Yeah, if we're going to get Boom Boom, I'm going to vote for either Bogdanov Boom Boom or Blevins Boom Boom. And, uh, you know, either is fine, but Bogdanov does a great job with it, with right. the, that character and getting the attitude right. So there's there's one thing that I, I just kind of pulled this up. I want to be very clear. I've never read Adventures Academy, so I don't oh. know this but yeah, Taki was in Avengers Academy. He joined the team there. So point me. Oh. I was right. right. Well, honestly, I think you're more right. I just think mine's the thing that happened. Well, yours is the canonical uh, reality, which I've got to get my uh, act together and go check out. So uh, glad to hear that Taki made a comeback. I assume he's just hanging out at Avengers Academy still. That's a real place, I think, still. <laughs> I don't think any Avengers teach there. Uh, I don't know. But, Unless it's like the Avengers Mansion, which got turned into a tourist hotel. Yeah, yeah, it got turned into a Avengers. weird tourist kink hotel. <laughs> and then a Nazi took it over. Oh, I love it. That's fun. I love it. But yeah, I think Exterminators is three quarters of a really good comic. Mm -hmm. Like, it's, it's literally, it's three quarters of a good comic. Issues one, two, and three are great. They have awesome boom boom. They have good skids. Artie and Leech are great. Uh, issue four is where it falls apart. Yeah, well, issue four is where we get that very uncomfortable crossover with New Mutants, where we're even seeing scenes from New Mutants, and it just seems unnecessary to be doubling up on these things just to show this team of kids in the same fight sequences from their perspective. Right. You know, um, it's still fun art. Like there's, there's some really, I think there's a double page spread at the beginning of, of issue four, where Bogdanov has the demons kind of chewing on the exteriors of the panel into the gutter, yeah, yeah. Um, which, which I, I love these little touches like this, but you're right. Issue four kind of falls apart and um, you know, that's where things get really messy. I'm appreciative that this exists so that these characters could have a natural transition into the new mutants, which then, you know, flows into uh, X-Force to a certain extent. But 
Yeah, it, it's a weird one, and it, it's very difficult to uh, to to rank and to think about even as as a cohesive whole. Well, it's weird because what always sticks out to me is the uh, Artie Leach and Taki dynamic. Like that's the best part of this. But mm-hmm. this isn't the best Artie Leach and Taki story, even. It's no. the Kings of Pain backup where they meet a grandma. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but you want more of that. I do. You know, like, I, I would I would much rather um, this cast not have to be involved in Inferno and be involved with Demon Babies and Nastir and really get a chance to go on a Fallen Angels type adventure that's just weird. Um, and doesn't have to fit into the rest of this crossover event. Yeah. Like, uh, so I think where where my heart is with this is I like the team and I like the artwork and I like the sensibility of their interactions and the way the characters are written. I just wish they weren't part of Inferno. Yeah, I think that's right. I think that's real right. I think so we should rank it. It makes ranking it a, a little bit difficult. Um, well, it's split in the uprights. It's going between uh, New Mutants and the X-Men X-Factor parts of Inferno. I think that's fair to say. I don't know. I mean, you, I, I would put it lower. I'm looking more towards like maybe Wolverine, Snicked, and Exiles. Ooh, are you? I think it's better than I. It's definitely better than Exiles. Yeah, I think that's where my my brain is going. Um, I I do think that X Terminators is enough of a mess that, um. It's, I don't know, like, if I'm going to go back and look at this, I'm really just going back and, like, saying, okay, where are the really great boom-boom scenes in here? And let me just take a look at those. Um, there's a lot of really know, great boom-boom scenes. And there's a lot yeah. of really great Artie and Leash taking care of babies. But I, I think there is something to be said for the fact that, like, this is so superfluous. Like, you absolutely do not need to read this whatsoever. Other than to say, okay, this is how some of the characters in the background of X Factor got onto New Mutants, right? This is this is not the book I thought you and me would be disagreeing with. We've done three I, I don't know. things. This is not the <laughs> one that I thought we'd have the biggest the biggest gulf. Wow, because I I I was looking, I was looking okay. uh, below Messiah War above Mojo Mayhem. So oh, we've got oh no yeah, no, no 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 that's that's this is not better than Mojo Mayhem. Well, okay, that I, I and I, it's I, certainly not better than Ultimate X Men Volume One. I don't. Okay, here's what I think though. I do think it's <laughs> here. Sell this to me. I do think it's better than Battle of the Atom because Battle of the Atom has a similar problem where it falls apart at the end, but it falls yeah. apart for like three and a half issues, where this falls apart for like one. And the right. parts that are charming in Exterminators are way more charming than Battle of the Atom, even though Battle of the Atom does have an ice wizard. Okay. I I will buy that. Um, I would still, though, just for the sheer fact that it is the culmination of years worth of continuity, I still think that the X-Men X-Factor is better than this. Um, you know, I think... I don't want to short trip the fact that Silvestri and Simonsons are absolutely killing it on X-Men and X-Factor uh, as they go through. Um, and it's not that Bogdanov is not, he's doing a great job. I just, I think that that has more weight and, and more importance to X continuity. Um, but I'll, you know, 
I I would be comfortable putting it ahead of Battle of the Atom. I mean, I'm just going to say one last thing, and then go ahead. Probably, we'll ahead. probably leave it where it is, but I just want to say All one right, last right. thing. This entire story happens because some demons don't know what babies look like, and they catch <laughs> Artie and Leech because they're small, lumpy guys. And that is, that is very true. That is, that is eternally enjoyable to me. <laughs> like, you want to find the exact X-Men stuff that I like? It's right there. It's that tiny sliver. Yes. That will always be. And I, and I am really glad that stuff like this exists. I want more of stuff like this. I want more stuff like Fallen Angels, um, where we get to explore weird combinations of weird side characters, um, you know, like an X-Club or something like that. Uh so is it, you know. is it weird that Artie and Leech are traveling the multiverse being best friends to God right now? Not at all. Like, <laughs> that's the one thing that always, like, I have to come back to it, that that's what their deal is right now. Yeah, they're, they're explorers of the new Marvel Universe. Yeah, they're just hanging out. And it's not because they're just, like, they should be with the Future Foundation, because Artie and Leech are great, but they're not the brightest. <laughs> they They just aren't. They're yeah. nice. They're hanging out. Uh, they're just, they, because they're so nice, they get to explore the creation of the universe. Yeah. That's beautiful. That's beautiful. But fine. We'll yeah. make this the new number 20 under Inferno X-Men right. and X-Factor and above Battle okay. of the Atom. X-Terminators. X-Terminators. And. Which, for the record, I think we do both love. I, I'm just, you know, trying to put it into some context on the list. Fine. Whatever. This stupid objective <laughs> i love it i love that this is what we we finally came to blows I, over is exterminate i am shocked that it's this one. Oh, that's good that's good that's great so that does it for this week's a battle of the atom if you enjoyed Ooh. if you enjoyed this stuff you know maybe mosey on over to patreon.com slash xavier files you can get a story that you like a story that you hate a story that you're just curious about force me and adam to read it and you know for two bucks we'll put it on the list we'll put it wherever we'll put it where it deserves uh you know unless it involves Artie and leech in which case i'll probably put it better than it <laughs> or worse than it deserves but that's fine i'm not bitter uh so we'll uh we'll we'll do that if you can't support it i know i can't support everything that i enjoy on the internet you know just leave us a rating or review or retweet the show do any of that stuff. It really helps out. Really gives us those warm fuzzies. Those good inferno fires inside of our souls. Inside our demon baby souls. Inside our demon Please. baby souls. And then I, you know, with that two bucks, I can afford more copies of X-Factor 37 because I don't have enough of those. You gotta finish that pentagram. Gotta finish that pentagram. <laughs> uh, but, you know, outside of all that. Everything Battle of the Atom can be found at XavierFiles.com, where you can also find my weekly X-Men write-ups, where I just talk about different characters like Artie and Leech, or Boom Boom, or whoever. I think last week, as you listened to this, I have just done Senator Kelly. Yeah, Ooh. that was an interesting one. Ooh. Yeah. I say like I have written it right now. I haven't even wrote a word <laughs> of it. But I assume it's going to be awesome. I assume it's going to be very, very good. I haven't actually done any, like, flat scan people flat scan makes me seem racist against my own kind i can't mm. use that that's not my word uh he's a muggle that's <laughs> yeah. he's, a, he's a senator, he's a senator. let's let's yes. use let's use that as a description he's, he's a concerned citizen 
Yeah. Uh, but beyond that, you can go to uh, twitter.com uh, slash Xavier Files. That's, that's where I tweet about X-Men. Mostly X-Men, sometimes non-X-Men stuff, mostly X-Men. It's a lot of X-Fun. Uh, but Adam, where can people find you online? Uh, on Twitter, you guys can follow me at Arthur Stacy. I am uh, trying as best I can to do some Inktober stuff, which is a nice experiment. And uh, just wrapped up uh, Bishon Jube's Age of Strife over at adamreck.tumblr.com. So check that out as well. Yeah. It's uh, it's good stuff. Well, that does it for this inferno-sized episode of Battle of the Atom. Until next week, this has been Battle of the Atom. We hope you survived the experience. Get it!